going to actually catch the last three or four verses of chapter two, and then we'll get to that passage that, that Brian read. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to just tell you a little encounter that I had this week. I, I started helping out a bit at the Rockville Women's Center, just trying to be an extra resource for the guys who may come in with their girlfriends, wives, whomever, um, just trying to be a reason. I haven't met with anybody. I've just been learning, really. And this week, I, I, I uh, was re, reacquainted with a woman named Kim, and she was sharing a little bit of her story. She's one of the leaders there at the Rockville Women's Center. She oversees the volunteer ministry. And she said that one of the things that they did, her, see, her husband was in the military, and they would move around like a lot of military folks every two or three years. And what they found is that some people, when they move around like that, some would choose just to be by themselves. They would be knowing that they're going to move on quickly. They would, they would just sort of be all alone and they would just keep to themselves, do what they needed to do, and then they were gone again. But Kim told me, Kim mentioned that in her family, they realized the value of community really quickly. And they realized that they needed to find, as soon as they landed in whatever spot they were in, they needed to find their people. And so they would reach out and they would meet all their neighbors and they would get to know folks and they just would get plugged into a church and they would jump in with both feet and it was all in for them right from the get-go. And in God's providence, he's allowed them to be in the same house for now 10 years, being a part of that community. She said that things got a little weird, a, lot of, a little different during COVID because now you couldn't see all the people that were your people. You just had to sort of imagine that they were there. And, and I, I, I bring that up because it seems interesting. So one of the things Kim shared is that she's been in this place for so long that now she's a part of the HOA in her community. She got elected to be the treasurer, and she knows nothing about money, but they trust her enough to, to put her in charge of that. Um, but she just she felt like being a part of this neighborhood, being a part of this community was something that was super important for her. And I think there's, there's something in us that really longs for that kind of real connection. You know, maybe if you remember, those of you guys who went to college, you may remember those days in college when you had those, those really good friends, those people you would spend time with, those people you would, you would stay up late with and talk about the world with. Then, there's, then you move on and go separate places, and you kind of have those fond memories, but the connection isn't quite as strong as it used to be. I have a good friend like that. His name was David. I've, I think I've shared about him before. He was the best man in our wedding. And he and I, I think during our junior and senior year, we used to get together and we'd talk and we'd pray. It was a Christian college, so it's kind of expected you find some folks to, to pray with. Well, we, we would pray with, with each other and for each other, and we just had this really tight bond. And several years ago, I had a chance to see him after not having seen him for a long time. And it was like we picked up right where we left off because there was just that, that solid foundation. And yet the connection is not quite as strong as it would be. He lived in Texas, went to school in Texas. Now he lives in Kansas. Kansas is a long way from Maryland. And it's just hard to see him. I mean, sure, there's Facebook and I catch up with him and a little bit on Facebook and I pray for him regularly. But, but that bond is not quite as close and, and I, I bring that up because as we continue looking in the book of Thessalonians, we've seen already how Paul is thankful for what God has been doing in the Thessalonians' lives, how he's seen evidence of a genuine salvation. He also gave, he praised God or he expressed awe for God in, in how uh, the, the Thessalonians encountered the gospel as we saw last week. 
They were, how when it arrived, they welcomed it with open arms, even welcomed it amidst uh, persecution, and then have continued to echo that. And so in these next several verses, I, I think one of the things we see is that Paul demonstrates how he experienced and expressed a real connection with the Thessalonians. And it was more than just a superficial connection. It was more than just a detached, hey, I'm a traveling speaker. Hey, now you got to know me. Hey, this is great. No, this was a real connection. And I think there are five ways that, that Paul demonstrates that and five things that we can learn about real connections, about genuine connections. And so if you want to take notes in your outline, uh, I think we see first that Paul, Paul notes or Paul demonstrates that real connection is a heart matter. Real connection is a matter of the heart. Earlier in the letter, Paul talked about how he acted toward them, how he acted toward them like a mother with a nursing child with tenderness, how he acted toward them like a, a father who would pro provide instruction and provide counsel. And in this section, he communicates a deeper, kind of more intimate affection. Look at what it says in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. You see, the separation that he experienced from, from the Thessalonians was clearly not something he wanted. He, he only got three weeks with them, but he wanted a whole lot more time. But the persecution got so difficult and so challenging right at the get-go that they said, Paul, we love you, but you got to go. We need some relief from this. And so you have this image of being torn away. In fact, that, that word where, where he says, we were torn away from you, literally, they were orphaned from them. They were ripped away like a child from a parent. And you, you can almost feel as a, as a parent pouring into these spiritual children of him, not being able to stay with them, how, much, how painful that would be for him. And in, in, addition to the, in addition to that, the Greek word that is translated desire elsewhere in other parts of the New Testament is translated as lust or craving. So something that we see as bad when the, when the object of that desire is wicked is seen here as good when the object or the people of that desire is wholesome and godly. So he's got this deep affection for the Thessalonians. He has this heartfelt, passionate connection with these believers. Maybe it was the manner in which he had to leave them. Possibly it was the fact that they connected so deeply, so quickly. Do you, have you ever had those kind of encounters? Danielle reminded me that when I was on that sabbatical years ago, um, that I got a chance to meet an author that I respected. His name is Zach Eswine, and he, he, he just has this ministry. He's a, a pastor who's been through a lot and wanted to make himself available for pastors. So I sat down, and we kind of interviewed, talked for an hour or so in his office, and then he took me to lunch. And it was amazing how in just a short time we could have this deep connection. And yet our friendship, you know, while we have that bond in Jesus Christ, our connection has not continued beyond that one moment. But for that one moment, for that couple of hours, it was genuine and real. And so it's possible that they connected so deeply and so quickly that he was emotionally and spiritually united with them. And so when he finally heard about the fact that they were standing firm in the faith, it brought him comfort and even 
a breath of life. Listen to what it says in chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. He says, but now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong. And listen to this. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. It's a breath of fresh air for him, knowing that these believers are strong in the faith. It seems that Paul not only preached to them, but he knew them. And they knew him. And they both had a fondness for each other. Tim Keller, in preaching on this passage, shared that early on in his ministry, he was, he was pastoring in this town down in, I think, North Carolina, and he met an older pastor, and they happened to be serving together in the hospital or something, and he noticed that this pastor knew everybody that came in and out of the hospital. He's like, hey, good to see you. all the nurses, all the doctors, most of the patients. He just knew them. And, and Tim was kind of like, you know, a little brushed off by that. If you know Tim, he's well, anyways, I won't make any, he's a good guy. I highly respect him. But Tim said that this pastor looked at him and he said, Tim, you know, you might be able to preach great sermons like Spurgeon, but if you don't know people, they won't change. And he was convicted by that. He realized, yeah, I kind of want a name for myself, but it's, do I really want to know the people that I'm called to pastor? And I think in changing from, from his other perspective to be known to being a pastor, God has allowed him to both be known and be a pastor. I mean, he served at one of the largest churches in New York City for nearly 30 years and has published book after book that's an encouragement to the church. And I think largely because he was, he was convicted by this and realized, I need to know people, not just have them know me. We must be willing to know and be known, not just a face or a place in a pew. I mean, how often do we look in the pew and think, oh, something, someone's, there's a hole right there. Who, oh, that, that person's not there. You know, we're, we're not going to be known as deeply by everybody else. But I think we do need to make sure that there is place in our hearts to be known by some. There should be a heartfelt connection. And frankly, it's difficult to have that if we only sit on the periphery, if we don't jump in with both feet like Kim did when they move around as a military family. But if we engage in service together or get to know one another in community groups and other ways, I think there is a deeper heartfelt connection. And I think that heartfelt connection will require some vulnerability. That'll require us to open ourselves up a bit. And sometimes that can be difficult. That can be intimidating. And yet I think that is where true heartfelt connection can begin. We don't need to do that with everybody. We don't need to be an open book. I mean, unfortunately, that's what social media has become. We put all our best and worst things out there for everybody to see not showing modesty or discretion. But I think if we can have some true, genuine connection with people who will make a difference in our lives, when we can have that heartfelt connection, then we are strengthened, they are strengthened, the body is strengthened. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul demonstrates here. 
demonstrating that godly connection, real connection, is a matter of the heart. But secondly, he also exhibits that real connection is a hand matter. Real connection is a hand matter. And in other words, real connection requires action. Paul felt like he was being hindered by Satan for whatever reason, and he doesn't give us insight into what Satan was doing to keep him from going back there. People have speculated maybe it was health, maybe it was a political environment, maybe it was fruitful ministry, wherever he was. Whatever reason, that wouldn't be Satan, that would be God hindering him. But whatever reason, he couldn't get back to the Thessalonians. And so he took action. Look at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. It says, Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker, proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that the troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. And that's why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Now, obviously, in the first century, they don't have the means of connection like we do. The cell phone wasn't invented until, what, just 25, 30 maybe 40 years ago. We didn't have the internet until Al Gore invented it back in the early 90s, right? And letters. Imagine what it would have been like. So, so even back then, if he could get a piece of papyrus, if he could get something to write on, Paul then had to send it by way of a messenger, an individual who could take it over with much turmoil over great distances. And it would take time and, and effort and energy. And it was difficult. And I think this is one of the reasons why we see throughout the New Testament that Paul never does anything alone. He's always equipping. He's always helping. He's always pulling other people along saying, hey, will you come with me to do this? So that at a moment's notice, at the right time, he could say, hey, Timothy, go. In fact, what's, he used some very interesting words here. See, Timothy, if you, if you don't know much about him, Timothy is a, a guy who was uh, born to a Jewish mom and a Greek father. He became a believer and had just demonstrated this genuine faith. And so Paul brought him along on this missionary journey, began to mentor him and began, began to disciple him and really was raising him up. In fact, we have a couple of letters to Timothy here in our, our New Testament. But one of the things that, that's so interesting here is he doesn't send Timothy out as a junior worker. He calls him God's fellow worker, which in all the commentaries that I looked at this week, all of the commentators said that is astounding, that he would look at Timothy and say, this is not just my fellow worker, this is God's fellow worker. I'm not sending a substitute. I'm sending a missionary. I'm sending a messenger from God to serve you. And so he took action. And I think that in similar ways, we need to look for ways as individuals to be people of action, not only to have that heartfelt connection, but to be willing to, to get our hands dirty in order to help someone else in need. I was so grateful this week. I got a, a message from someone that we've helped in town before, and, and uh, she recently had surgery and was a little bit you know, unable to move about, and her fence broke. So I reached out to the deacons. I said, hey, can anybody fix this? And within minutes, Ned chimed up and said, he texted back. He said, yep, I'm on it. I'll be there today. 
So I gave, they exchanged numbers, and he went out there, fixed up her fence. She was so grateful because part of the problem is she lives in one of the townhouses. She has a dog. She can't walk because of her surgery, and now her dog has a place, you know, her dog would have escaped with the, if the fence hadn't been fixed. But I, I think one of the joys, so Ned, thank you for getting your hands dirty and maybe a few splinters, fixing this fence. But I think there are, there are tangible ways that not only can we serve other people, but serving each other. You know, there are times when people go through difficult circumstances. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's a, a, a surgery, and we don't quite know what to do. And we want, oftentimes, the response is, hey, let me know how I can help. But you know what's going to happen, right? Most often, they're going to say, oh, thank you. I appreciate it. But you'll never hear from them. But maybe it's something that we can just say, hey, here's a meal. Let me, let me I'm not going to ask permission to bring you a meal. Here's a meal. You get to have it. Eat it whenever you want to. Warm it up, 350, 20 minutes, you'll be good. Or maybe it's offering, calling them up and saying, hey, how can I, you know, can I take you to the next doctor's appointment? How can I help you in this way? Job, in, in the book of Job, if you remember, Job lost everything, and he was just sitting. He, he had boils on his arm, and he had been scratching. He was just in pain physically, in pain emotionally. He was sitting down mourning, and his friends came up and sat with him. They just sat with him for seven days. Didn't say anything, just to be with him so that he knew he wasn't alone. And frankly, when you look at the rest of the book, they probably should have stopped there because <laughs> when they opened their mouths, they inserted their feet pretty quickly. But I think we need to be not only people who have a heartfelt connection with one another, but people who can take action. You know, maybe there may be ways that the Holy Spirit brings someone to your mind. And, and maybe it means picking up the phone and calling them, saying, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a bit. I haven't, how's it going? How, God's been putting you on my heart. Can I pray? And I think even that kind of connection, that kind of action is a step in the right direction. So we need to demonstrate our real connect, connection with our hands. But in addition to being a matter of heart and hands, real connection is a head matter. Real connection is a head matter. There, there are some relationships in our lives that have an overly emotional element. We can be so tied up in the fun that we have with these people that we don't want to mess up the fun by, by inserting some, some measure of truth. Sometimes we, we don't want to mess up that enjoyment of just being together if we think, oh, there might be something hard I should say. And yet Paul was not afraid to, to express his heart for them, to put his love in action and then also to express the difficult things that he needed to say. Look at chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. He said, For how can we thank God enough for you, for all the joy we feel for you before our God? We pray earnestly night and day to see you in person and make up what is lacking in your faith. And you know, when we look at that, we think, well, Paul, what is lacking in their faith? What, what do you mean by that? And Keller, when he talked about this, he said, basically, I can't wait to see you again to fix your shortcomings. Yes, I want to hug you. I want to love on you. I want to pour out my life for you. But I want to fix what you've got messed up. And I'm going to do it in love. He, he, you know, he, he may be quoting the song Coldplay, I will try to fix you, right? 
And there are times when in love and affection, we will need, need to be willing to say difficult things. We will need to address wrong thinking or wrong actions or habits or language. And we have to remember that it's often only when we have a heart connection and a hand connection that the head connection, that keeping our heads about us, being willing to speak truth in love is, is going to be received. This week I was uh, listening to a podcast by Kevin DeYoung and he was interviewing this woman named um, Rosaria Butterfield. Incidentally, Rosaria and Kevin and a bunch of other speakers, David Platt and um, John Piper are gonna be at a conference that we're taking a bunch of the uh, single adults to in the first of the year. It's called Cross Conference and I wanna encourage you guys to consider going. It'll be a, a really great time. But one of the things that, that I found interesting in this conversation, you see Rosaria Butterfield, she's now in her early 60s. She's a mother of, of many. She's a grandmother. She's a pastor's wife. But when she was in college, she was a, a, a flaming liberal and a lesbian. And she would tell people that, hey, I want to convert people to help them see the lesbian agenda is the right agenda. I'm a women's liberal to the core. And, and, and she tell, she's told her story, and I don't want to rehash her story. I do want to encourage you to check that out. But one of the things that happened in her life is she began investigating why is it that Christians hate LGBTQ stuff so much? And back then it was just the LG. And so she began to just have conversations with this pastor. And, and after meal, meal after meal after meal, Scripture after scripture, after she said it was, must have been 500 times that we had a meal together. And this pastor and his wife just poured out their love for me. They accepted me for who I was, but didn't affirm my lifestyle. They were clear to say, Rosaria, we love you, but what you're doing here, that's sin. And I think that's one of the things that she points out in, in a new book that she uh, talked about, and that is some uh, on lies that our culture believes. And that, that so often people say they want affirmation. They say they want, yes, affirm, celebrate everything that I'm doing, even if it's to my detriment, even if it's bad for me. Celebrate it. Affirm me. Help me feel good. And yet Rosaria says, no, we need to accept people for who they are and 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 help them realize where they're wrong in love. And again, Keller noted in his sermon, he said he talked about it from a, a standpoint of, of giving away our heart, but keeping our head. He said when we give away our heart, we communicate love for people. When we, when we give away our head, we let our, sort of take our brain out and say, we don't care. But when we don't give away our heart and we, we communicate, we keep our head about us and we tell people, hey, we, we tend to be people who are judgmental. We tend to be people who want to get back at people. But when we give away our heart and we keep our head about us, we got our mind in us and we're thinking clearly about how God would want, to speak, want us to speak into their lives, then we are able to connect deeply, we end up being people who can tell the truth, who can draw people closer, who, who are people who are willing to redeem and not punish. Real connection takes a heart, it takes hands, it takes a head. And next we see Paul tells us that, or helps us see that real connection is a heavenly matter. It's a heavenly matter. It, 
we're all a part of a variety of different communities. Some of you guys are, are part of a crafting community. You like to make quilts and, and make, um, do knitting things and sew bags and do all these things. You, you love making things to serve other people. There are others of us who are part of maybe a young mom's community. You've got kids about the same age, and so you want to go to the park together. You want to enjoy a fun time together. You can commiserate and say, oh, man, life as a young mom is painful and good and all these things. There's the golfing buddies, the guys who always exaggerate how good, they're, how good they are. And then you get on the course, and you realize just how bad they are. And you think, oh, yeah, misery loves company there, too. There's the town of Poolsville community and all the connections we have here. Maybe it's political connections. Maybe it's the connections we have in our neighborhoods with block parties and just neighbors who understand, hell, oh, the trash is much better now than it was before. And, oh, did you notice that water main break? And how's your, how, you know, all these things that we get to enjoy here. There's the sport team connections. It's been fun at the last several cross-country meets to go out and just kind of reconnect in different ways with different parents. There's the language connection. Those of you guys who speak other languages, you get that joy of being able to communicate in your heart, what may be your heart language, or at least communicate to other people in their heart language. There's those ethnic connections. Yes. There's that opportunity to connect with people from, a di- from, from your background. But our relationship with, G- with, with each other because of Jesus Christ, in that relationship there is a heavenly or there is an eternal element. We are united with each other through Christ. We may still have all those other connections and all those other communities, but there is something new and different and unique because of Jesus Christ. Our relationship is not simply horizontal. We have a vertical element to it. And Paul addresses, he addresses that beautifully by demonstrating how he is depending on God to act. He's trusting that God is going to do something in the lives of the Thessalonians. Look at what it says in verses 11 to 13 of chapter 3. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He knows that God is the one who's going to make a way for him and his companions. And, this, and you know, obviously, Timothy was the only one who could get back there at that time. It was God who will cause them to increase in love for each other and even for outsiders. It is God who will grow them in holiness. And so he's depending on God. He's praying, God, please do this in their lives. Ultimately, it is God the Son who will, who will return again to reign. So I want to ask us, how do our relationships take on an, a heavenly element? And ultimately, that is with prayer. We can certainly be praying for one another's requests. As we, it was a joy last night in our community group to be able to share, hey, how can we be praying for each other this week? And we put some of these things on, in, the, in the weekly prayer list that you can get from the midweek. But some of the things that, um, and, and there are a whole variety of things on that prayer list that we can be praying for. And, the, and it, Brian and, and the other elders often pray through those things on Sunday mornings, but we can also be praying bigger and deeper things for each other. 
In fact, one of the things that gets rotated through the list, if you'll notice, the list kind of changes and you might see some, the same kinds of things come up from time to time. But we were convicted uh, as we were studying a book together as elders. We were thinking, you know, how are we praying for each other and for the church? And we were convicted in this book by the way that the, the author noted, here's how Paul and Jesus and others are praying for the churches. And so here's some of the things, and let me encourage you. You'll see these in the midweek or in that prayer list. Let me encourage you to be praying for one another in this way. One is to pray for unity and harmony, unity and harmony in the body. You can see the references there in Romans and John. One of the other things that Paul often prays is for growth and understanding, that not only will people grow, but we'll grow deeper and grow in our understanding of what God is doing in our lives. He prays for their fruitfulness. He prays for their endurance amidst hardships. And that's something, obviously, that the Thessalonians are facing a lot of. We might be willing to pray for each other that we would be quick and thorough to forgive, that we, wouldn't, that we, that we would let things go. We would address it and deal with it quickly, but let it go so that there's no handles on it. That we would be praying that each other would grow in godliness. As I said, the, the prayer list is available each week in the midweek. And let me encourage you, maybe consider printing it out and then taking your, your directory. And if you don't have a directory, let me know. And we can, I can send you an electronic one. We're going to probably be redoing that in, in uh, the new year. But take the directory. Maybe just pray. To, you'll find that spot in the, in the prayer list that says, hey, uh, so maybe this week is praying for uh, growth and understanding. So you take the, the prayer list and, and pray each day for maybe just three people, one page. Say, God, I, I pray for this family. Lord, as they read your word, that they would grow in understanding you. As they deal with difficult circumstances, as they encounter other people, in just letting the word of God guide how you pray for the people of God. What a joy it is to, to have that heavenly connection that we're depending on each other, and, or depending on God and not simply on each other. And what a joy it is to see the way that God answers prayer. So we've seen how Paul exhibited heart, hand, head, and heavenly elements in, their, in his godly connection with the Thessalonians. There's one final element that Paul exhibits, and that is that real connection is a heavy matter. Real connection is a heavy matter. And just before noting that he sent Timothy to check on the Thessalonians to see how they were doing, Paul asks and answers a question that speaks to his motivation for his work in their lives. Look at chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This boasting language is, boasting, is language that sounds funny to us. It sounds funny to me. I think, Paul, don't you want to be a little more humble about this? But he uses this interestingly throughout his letters. Sometimes he'll boast about his, his suffering. He talks about how many times he was beaten, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was thrown in prison, stoned, left for dead, all these things as a means of communicating the depth of, of his, his devotion to God and, and really glorying in the challenges that he's facing. Sometimes he states that he boasts in his weakness. Other times he says that he will only boast in Christ and him crucified. So what is this 
boasting about, boasting that the, 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 the Thessalonians are his joy and glory, the crown of boasting when Jesus returns. Michael Holmes notes in his commentary that at some point in the future, believers will be evaluated with respect to their stewardship of the ministry entrusted to them by God. And so the fact that the Thessalonians have a genuine and sustaining faith is evidence that Paul and his companions were faithfully stewarding the ministry to which God had called them. See, I think it's, it's important for us to think not so much that this is a badge of honor or an award, but glory is a means of rejoicing. That word glory in the Old Testament would refer to weight. It would refer to some, a substance. The glory of the Lord had this palpable presence. Same type of thing here. There's an award. There's a joy, but it's a heavy thing. Look, look at what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. This is as he's nearing the end of his life, nearing the end of his ministry. He's writing his last will and testament, if you will, to, to Timothy. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who also to all who have loved his appearing. This rejoicing, this boasting, or even glory is heavy because of the eternal weight, both of the, both of the discipler, in this case Paul, and of the disciplee, in this case the Thessalonians. But, but I think the same is true for us. God calls us to different ministries. Are we being faithful to accomplish all that he has called us to there? Are we being faithful to disciple and to connect with people that God has called us to connect with? Are we being people who are pouring into others? Are we making an eternal impact, not simply by sharing the gospel, hopefully we're doing that, but also by discipling other believers? Are our connections real enough, authentic enough, in heart, in hand, in head, in heavenly means, that we can create opportunities to make a heavy, eternal impact? Are we all called to be Pauls? No. I think there's only one Paul. But there's also one Vern, one Michelle. One, well, there's two, three Zachs here, but two Zachs. We're all called differently, gifted differently, called to serve uniquely. Are we being faithful to what God has called us to I don't think God has called us to be equally close to everyone in the church, but we do need to have real connections somewhere because, you know, equally close to everybody is impractical and probably impossible. There should be a few people who are making an impact in our lives and in whose lives we are making an impact. There's a young lady I met. Actually, today's her birthday. Her name is Katie. I met her when she was about 14 years old. She and her family had just moved from the Carolinas up to, uh, up to this area. She was in the youth group at, at, at uh, First Baptist Rockville when I was there. She loved music. Um, she loved going to camp. She loved mission feuds. She loved all sorts of things. And uh, God had clearly called her, gifted her musically, and called her to do some wonderful things. 
And so she graduated from high school. She went to college, got a degree in music, and began to teach music here in Montgomery County. And she, she I, I believe she's over at um, MLK Middle School in Germantown. And one of the things that would happen as a middle school teacher, she had like this huge choir, you know, and she would, you know how middle school boys can be, no offense to any middle school boys present. But, you know, sometimes they, they don't like to do the things that you might want them to do. Well, here you have this young lady who's teaching choir and, and all the middle school boys are forced to be in choir. Does that sound exciting, guys? But they would love it. They would just get in there and she made it fun. She made it engaging. She did all these cool things. And, and one of the things that God did is she gave her a tender heart to be able to have, have an impact in a handful of people's lives. Let me tell you very briefly about two. One was a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah um, just always seemed to be one of those guys who kept wanting to get into trouble. Very talented drummer. Super great musical abilities on the drums. He could play anything he could hear. And so Katie just poured out her life into him. Say, hey, Isaiah, I've got this thing at church. Will you come with me to, to youth group? And let, why, why don't you play drums with that? Oh, and we had him in the worship band at church for a while, and he was playing regularly. Just phenomenal guy. She poured into his life regularly as, as, as was appropriate. She, she gave her life over to him, poured out her love for Jesus Christ into him. He graduated, went on now as a family. He's not perfect, but she did what she could. She was a faithful steward of the opportunities that God had poured, placed in her life. As, as Isaiah was graduating, he, she met this young lady named Masire who's got vocal chops like you would not believe. I mean, she could be on America's Idol, American Idol and just do really, really well. She began to pour into Masire, help her realize that she can use her vocal gifts for the Lord. She began to spend time with her Mourning with her when her family was going through deep time of loss. She began to pray with her, also inviting her to church, just doing all these things, using the ministry out in the world that God had called her to, to, to make real connections with these guys that, are, that, have, that last for eternity. And I, I want to just ask us, who are we pouring into? Who are we making heartfelt connections with? Who are we using our hands to serve, to minister to? Who, who are we engaging with our minds so that we can speak truth in love? Who are we praying for? Who are we pouring into that we might come before Jesus Christ in the final day and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? Paul wasn't the only guy. Katie's not the only gal who had this kind of connection with people. Ultimately, our, our, our most clear example is in Jesus Christ. You see, in all of this, Jesus Christ, when he came, he came because of his heartfelt love for, for, for his creation, for his people. And then he demonstrated perfection, living his life perfectly, living out the life that we should be living, but that we can't because we are mired by sin. He demonstrated with his life perfection. And then he also loved with his head. He made a real connection with his head and taught the ways of God, correcting our faulty thinking and acting, 
accepting us for who we are, but not accepting us as we are, calling us to holiness and godliness. He made a heavenly connection with us, praying for us, and continues. Scripture tells us he is interceding even now for us. And one day there will be a heavy connection because of his work in us, the spirit being poured out in our lives, our work in each other's lives, that one day there's going to be a feast. There's going to be a joyous feast, that marriage supper of the Lamb, when we get to be together with people from all over the world. We may not be able to understand how they praise God today because we don't speak their language, but when we're before the throne, I think we will all understand it. And what a joy that will be because of what Jesus Christ did in his life, his perfect life, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection from the dead. So my, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, have you, when will you respond to the connection that Jesus Christ is offering for you? He laid aside everything so that you and I might be in a real relationship with God. Not one that's based on performance, not one that's based on trying to meet certain quotas, but one that is based on love, one that is based on a genuine connection. And so in just a moment, we're going to, actually, let me invite the 